0: The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. So have you ever felt like, uh, like life was a little bit out of control? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever felt like, like circumstances were just kind of just kind of starting to spin a little bit faster than what you would like them to spin. Maybe there's, maybe there's an area of your life that you've been focusing on, and you've been spending a lot of time on this area, and you finally got it kind of together. You finally have it looking pretty good. And then by the time you stop and turn around, there are seven other areas that while you were focusing on this, that kind of got unglued or unleashed. You ever felt like you were trapped in something. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of head nods here in, in the room. You ever felt like, like maybe you're in a job that you hate, but it's an out of co- control situation because there doesn't seem to be another option for you at this time in terms of our economy, in terms of what, what's happening in the job market right now. You ever felt like you're out of control in a, in a relationship, in a dating relationship, where it's just not working, but you feel trapped in there, you feel manipulated, guilty, whatever, to be in that, in that uh, relationship. It's not fun to have this feeling of being out of control. My oldest son turned eight uh, last week. His name's Gordon, and we had his eighth birthday. And a rule that we have in our house is that you can invite the number of kids that is your, that is your birthday. So for the uh, uh, fourth birthday, you can have four kids over. Uh, so last year, seventh birthday, we had seven boys over, and all birthdays that we've ever had have been at our house and have been manageable. Last year, Seven boys, seventh birthday, no problem. We've entered into a new zone with the eighth birthday and eight boys. It it was... It was out of control. Let me just tell you, this is what the situation was. What Gordon got his big present this year was a camera. We got him his own digital camera, and so what we did for his birthday is I set up a photo scavenger hunt for him and all the people who were with him. We had uh, items ranging from one to fifteen. A lot of one-point items, uh, a lot of two-point items, and a few upper ends. So, so like uh, Gordon lying on the lying uh, uh, on the grass with whipped cream all over his face. Take a picture of him. that's worth two points. Uh, if, you, if, if, the, if we had all the kids came together and built a Lego structure that was as tall as Gordon, take a picture of it, that was worth 10 points. That was a big one. And the top pointer, there was one thing that was above 10 points. It was 15 points, and that was a picture of all the kids uh, washing Gordon's dad's car. <laughs> I... Uh, just so you know, I have no problem with that, uh, and uh, I actually got that picture, all the kids doing that, it was, it was dirtier, you know, after they were done than, than before, but, but it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Now, one of the items on there, was for seven points, was a picture of someone in the pool, anyone in the pool. Now, it's too cold to get in the pool. I know some of you are in your pools already, but, but it's, it's pretty much cold in the pool, so I thought, well, there'd be one kid, there will be one kid who's courageous enough to get in the pool, uh, eight-year-old boys. Do you think any of them went in the pool? Yeah, that's right. Somebody's way more experienced than I am. So I thought maybe I was actually suited up so that if no kid went in the pool, I was gonna jump in the pool. Well, I said seven points for someone in the pool before I even turned around. One kid goes in the pool, and then other kid says, hey, that looks like fun. He gets in the pool. The first kid gets out starts pushing other kids in the pool. Other kids, now, nobody's got their swimsuit on. Ever. Kids are like, they can't swim, and they're cold, and they're, hey, I thought I was coming to a fun birthday party. And the whole thing was just, we're yanking kids out and said out of the pool, out of the pool, away from the area, close up the thing. Talk about being out of control. Talk about, man, I'm never going to let my kid go over to the fallers for a party. I get that nobody got hurt, everything's okay. But but it's just it's this incredible sense of being out of control and now I know why God created Chuck E. Cheese. And that's what eighth birthdays are going to look like from now on, I think. But anyway, we've, we've, we've been having a lot of fun. But the idea of being out of control, of just not being able to have enough hands, enough time, enough energy, enough, enough wisdom to, to manage all the things that are going on, it's not fun. It really is not fun. This series is entitled Fruit And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, at these nine things that Paul refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. And that these nine things are not things that we work at, at one at a time, we want to improve ourselves with. These are things that are the result of having a genuine relationship with Christ. That when our tree is rooted in the person of Jesus, that then on our tree will show up these beautiful fruit. And one of those fruit, the last of these nine, Paul says, is self-control. That, that when our lives are rooted in Christ then on our tree will show up this thing called self-control. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice in the midst of a life that feels out of control so often? Now, here's the really interesting thing about self-control. It, the, the, the phrase itself really helps us out. In a world where we feel out of control, there is only one thing that we have control over. There's only one thing that we have control over. I'll give you a hint. It's the first part of the phrase self-control. It's ourself. It's There's only one thing. When all the circumstances seem like they're doing this, we can't do that. We can't get kids out of the pool and fast and tough and all that kind of thing. There's only one thing that we have control over. It's ourselves. I tell this to my kids all the time. Just who do you have control over? Who do you have control over? Yeah but, yeah, but Martin hit me. Yeah, but this happened to me. Yeah, well, this thing happened. Yeah, well, I bumped into the thing and the, 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 the stool just jumped right out in front of me. That's what happened. all these kinds of things is who are you in charge of? Who are you in charge of? Who do you have control over? Myself. That's all we have control over is ourselves. Paul says in, uh, in a letter that he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, in a, in a letter that we call in, in the Bible the Second uh, Timothy, in the first chapter of that, verse 7, he says that God does not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and what? And self-control, that God has granted us on our tree the opportunity to have this thing called self-control because the only thing we have control over is ourselves. Now, some of you are flexing that muscle right now in this period that we call Lent, this period between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Some of you have chosen, as a part of the Christian calendar, to say, I will practice self-denial in some way, something that I I like or I long for, or I will will take a break from that for a 40-day period. And this is to connect with the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert where he denied uh, himself food and that we will, uh, uh, in the tradition of practicing Lent, we will will pray and meditate and we will have some form of self-control, of self-discipline through that journey. And it's flexing that muscle. The only thing we have control over is ourself. But the reality is, and I'm sure some of you can relate to this, that for me, I, I don't do well with that one thing that I have control over. I can relate so often to Paul who wrote in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, this whole thing goes on and on and on. But basically he says, what I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. You read this thing, you can read this whole paragraph and you go, that's me. That is so me, this struggle, this frustration of, of, of the only thing I have control over my, is myself and I, and I can't do that very well sometimes. Here's, for, here's my idea. Here's just a little bit of practical uh, lobbing here, in, uh, right here at this point in the message. Here. Just a little practical lobbing here. For me personally, when it comes to self-control stuff, when it comes to the temptations of life, the temptations of of things that seem to have control over me, I don't rely on my self-control. On on those big dog things, I run. I flee. I don't just stand there and rely on the strength of my self-control when I'm faced with the more difficult stuff. Pornography is referred to uh, as every man's battle. And I know it's not just an issue for men. But I understand mostly the, the, the male side of that, that, that pornography is, is an issue for so many men in our country and the world. And so for me, when it, comes to, when it comes to issues of pornography, my self-control in that area, let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, my strength of my self-control is about a 1. Let me just tell you, if it's in front of me, I'm going to look at it. If it's right there in front of me, I'm going to look at it. And the amount of time I do is based on whether I think anyone is ever going to catch me on this. Okay, let me just tell you. That's, that's, that's where this comes from. I don't lean on my self-control. I lean on, on the need to run, to flee, to stay as far away from that as I possibly can. I'm doing, I, I do pretty well in this area, not because of the strength in my, of my self-control, well, because I stay as far away as I possibly can. So that's, that's, that's. Here, let me give you another example of that. It has to do with uh, me having a relationship with a woman outside of my marriage. Okay, No marriage is immune from that happening. Once we start to think, that'll never happen to me, that's when we're probably setting ourselves up for, for disaster. I am always on careful lookout for this. Always careful uh, in this area. Because here's the deal. If there's a line that we draw and say, this is inappropriate, this is appropriate. This is inappropriate, this is appropriate. If this is the line, this is the edge, I want to stay as far away from that line as possible. Because what happens is if we're right on the line and we can justify so many of the things that we do, so many of the conversations that we have, so many of the things that we look at, etc., we can be right on that line And say I'm on the appropriate side I'm not doing anything wrong I'm not doing anything wrong but one slip up one bad moment and we're right there on the inappropriate side so why not stay as far away from the edge as possible stay way over here let me give you an example and I've talked about this before but I do not ride in a vehicle alone with another woman doesn't matter the age I do not ride in a vehicle alone with another woman. I do not meet uh, for a meal alone with another woman uh, in a restaurant, just the two of us. I do not do it. Uh, now, you can call me fuddy-duddy. You can call me fearful. You can call me Midwestern. You, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> you can kind of line up, do you, your emails, whatever. I'm just saying if this is the edge, I'm going to stay as far away as I can from it so that if I do go over the line that I've drawn. If there's an emergency and I've got to get to the certain place and there's a woman that gets a get in the car, let's go, we'll take on. If I've got to cross my line, I've stepped into an area where there are still no consequences because I'm staying away from that line over there. When we're dancing over here and, and we slip over, we've instantly entered into consequences. I don't lean on the power of my self-control. I stay as far away as I can from this dangerous, dangerous edge. So, the only thing we have control over is ourselves. And there are some things that we can do to, 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 in wisdom as we take our journeys in, in life. There's some things we can do to, 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 to be strong in terms of this and stay away from the edge and all that kind of stuff. This is why there's a, there's a, there's a verse that Jesus says in John 15 that, that is a little tricky for me. It's, I spent a little bit of time on it this week, and it's actually pretty puzzling. I've heard the verse a number of times before, but this week it just kind of entered into being rather puzzling. If you would, turn to John chapter 15. It's the one verse I want to take a look at here this morning. Verse 5. Actually, I got up on the screen. Here's, here's what Jesus says. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man or woman remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. That's the entire point of this whole series, that when we are rooted in Christ, when, when he is in us and we are in him, we will bear fruit. That beautiful fruit is the result of having a relationship with Christ. It's the whole point of this whole series. And then Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Really? Nothing? Nothing? Nothing I mean, before I gave my life to Christ, I could do a lot of things. There were a lot of things that I could do. I was pretty do doing <laughs> I mean, and I think of people that i 've known who have done some amazing things. And, and they don't have a relationship with Christ yet. Not yet, whatever. People who have broken addictions because of their own self-control, because of relationships that, that, we, that they've had with people who have helped them out, because of patches, because of whatever that, that has been in their journey. And Jesus says, we can do nothing. Apart from me, we can do nothing. There's a, a gentleman in our church named Bob uh, Dainert. He's been a part of our church for a number of years. And God has put him on an incredible journey over the last year and a half and uh, we uh, sat down this week and did a little video interview and I believe there's a part of this story that very much helps us understand what Jesus had to say what Jesus meant when he said apart from me we can do nothing here's Bob's story
1: I've I've always been a person who could control myself uh, in pretty much every area of life, uh, being eating, uh, playing. Um, I, I'm the kind of guy you can put a hot fudge sundae in front of, and, and I, I don't I don't have to have it. I can I, I you know I love it, but I I'm able to uh, uh, control myself. And uh, I've, I've always been uh, big on having fun and having a good time. So wherever there was fun and, and laughter and games and excitement, I would get to g- go there. And of course, of course, that would always involve doing bad things, such as drugs, alcohol, men and women together, uh, gambling, you name it. All kinds of things are occurring where Bob wants to have fun. So, I've been able to control myself in every area with the exception of alcohol. I had met a culprit that I could not achieve, I could not overcome it. And it brought me down, it brought me down to my knees. I tried to engineer it, I have a degree in engineering, and so I thought, like everything else in my life, I'm going to build a plan and a schedule, and I'm going to overcome this alcohol just like everything else, plan, schedule, go do it. And I uh, go into the AA meetings, lots of them, sponsors, all that, 12-step, I, I, I did it all. I did everything AA was telling me about with the exception of one one thing. That's step two and three is you come to believe in step two and step three is turn your will and your life over to the care of God. And I, I would go to church on a, Every sunday, and uh, i I was believing in God, at least I thought I was, but I held on to this little piece, this little piece that was my own that I wanted to manage that was my will
0: there's more to bob's story we're going to get to that in just in just another minute we We'll get to the to the part two of bob's story, but uh I think there's something so important in what what Bob has to say there with regard to different areas of his life. With our own natural strength, with our own willpower, with our own self-control, with our own engineering, with our own brilliance, we can take care of many parts of our lives. Maybe 98%. Maybe with all things considered, all books that are available and counseling and all that is available, maybe we can take care of 98% of our lives. But then, as Bob says, then there's this one area. And for all of us, there's that 2%. And that 2% is everything. That 2% is everything. Now, some of you have done some amazing things out of your own strength with regard to addictions and and different uh, struggles that you've had in life. And maybe you look at others who need Christ or who need some kind of 12-step program and say, well, they're weak. They're not strong like I am. Maybe there's some others of you in this room, you know you're more prone to addictions. You're, no, you're more prone to having other things have control over you. But let me just tell you, each one of us has an area of 2% in our lives. Each one of us. Some of you are incredibly and painfully aware of what that 2% is. It has a hold on you on a regular basis. You're reminded daily of how, of how much that 2% is everything. Others of you, perhaps, may, maybe you're not quite as aware of that. And if you're not aware of, of what areas of your life seem to have control over you, maybe it would be helpful to, to finish this sentence. I am not happy in life until... I have this, or unless I have this. I cannot experience fullness of life. I'm not happy in life unless I have this piece. i just got to be honest. Here's this one piece. It's the one thing that I have to hang on to. If that one thing is not God, then there's something else that has a hold of you. And so many, so many of us, we slip into this thing of, of fooling ourselves into thinking that 98% is, is pretty good. 98. I mean, it's 98%. If I did 98% in every area of my life, I'd be doing pretty well. It's 98%. It's good. But it's that 2% that is everything. It's that 2% that will kill you, that will take you out of the game. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, that 2%... Will destroy you. That 2% is everything. So if you haven't surrendered that piece to me, you can do nothing. It still has a, a hold on you. Now th- this this is a little this is a little tricky. I mean, 98, 2, one little thing. So here, let let me, to help understand the 2% thing, let's step back again and go all the way back to Galatians chapter 5. It's what we talked about at the very beginning of this series. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he lists the fruit after he lists a, a, a list of vices that he refers to as the desires of our sinful nature. He lists the desires of our sinful nature and compares those with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the desires of the sinful nature, those are things like sexual immorality and debauchery, whatever that means, uh, idolatry and rage and jealousy and drunkenness, etc. He lists all those things. Those are the things that in our head we know they're not going to take us to a good place. Those things, we read that list and we go, okay, I know that's not what I want for myself. It's not what I want for those around me. We know that those things have a destructive nature to them. What I think is so interesting about this is this list that Paul gives 2,000 years ago, it's the same list that we have today. It's the same stuff. It's still, it's because it's the desires of our, of our sinful nature. It's, the, it's what we've inherited from what happened in the garden with, with Adam and Eve. With, with it was in Eden, Adam and Eve. It's, it's what we've inherited. It's a part of this thing. This, it's the same stuff that they struggled with. It's the same stuff we struggle with now. And that is compared, in Galatians chapter 5, with the fruit of the Spirit. We read those things, and we say, well, that's what I want. It's just so so clear. That's what I want my kids to, to have. That's what I want my kids to marry into. That's what I want as far as my teacher, my boss, my friends, my spouse. Those are clearly the things that we're interested in. Paul finishes the fruit of the Spirit, and he says, against such things, there is no law. In other words, if we function this way with these nine fruit, if we all did that, we wouldn't even need the law. We wouldn't even need the lawyers. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, I got one. Just kidding. Just, but I mean, we wouldn't even need those dangerous, life-threatening, annoying, inappropriate flashes on I-10. We wouldn't even need those things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But we wouldn't even, we, against such things, there is no law. So what's the deal with this 2%? How could this 2% have so much power? What's the deal with the 2%? See, because the reality is it's, it's not fair. It's really not fair when you balance the desires of the sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit. Because here, here's, the, here's the difference between the two of them. The desires of the sinful nature are easy to ignite and hard to stifle. But the fruit of the Spirit is the exact opposite. They are hard to ignite and easy to stifle. The desires of the sinful nature, these are things that with one click, with one drink, with one call, with one slip over the edge, we can enter into these self-destructive... This is where the 2% stuff lands is in the desires of our sinful nature. They're, they're easy to ignite and it's hard so hard to stifle. But over here in terms of our, of our uh, fruit of the Spirit, these things are hard to ignite. In other words, it's a fruit on a tree. It takes time to grow, and it requires patience. Maybe the first fruit we should go after is patience, so that we can have patience to wait for the other fruit to kind of grow on our tree. It's hard to get, yet we can lose it in an instant. Faithfulness is about being a trustworthy person, and in one decision, we can lose that fruit on our tree. We can lose the trust of someone that, that we care about. Boom. It's easy to stifle. That's just, that's the difficulty. That's the tension of these two things. It's like, did you guys hear about uh, University of California at San Diego? That they had uh, 46,000 applicants for freshmen in their, uh, in their school this year. And 17,000 of them were accepted. So that meant 29,000 of them were rejected. So someone sent out an email an acceptance email by mistake to all forty six thousand. Yeah. So seventeen thousand people are going, woohoo, and twenty nine thousand people are only for a very short time going, woohoo, because two hours later they got an oops email that said, Oh, I'm sorry, that you know the whole I was just kidding. You know, kind of the whole deal. I mean, that's just oops, we're talking about about easy to ignite, click. And hard to stifle. I mean, it's going to be years before they get over being uh, mocked for this little tiny mistake. This, the, the desires of our sinful nature are so easy to enter into and so difficult to pull ourselves out of. But the fruit of the Spirit, they take time to grow. And that's why they elude us sometimes. They require a little bit more time. Time. Now, please don't hear this wrong. We've been consistent throughout this whole series. It's not about your effort. Even with the fruit of the Spirit, it's not about you, your strength that builds these things on your tree. It's not about your effort. It's about, it's about surrendering every area of your life to Christ and then as a result, these fruit will show up on our tree. Also, here's, here's a wrap-up self-control here. Just keep in mind the title of this entire series. Self-control is a fruit self-control is a fruit it's not something that you generate in and of yourself it's that's a little head tilting it's a little mind spinning to think about it that way self-control is a fruit it's this thing that we even though it has the word self in it it's this thing that we surrender to Christ and then our relationship with Christ allows that thing to grow and pop up on our tree It's kind of counterintuitive, is it isn't it? The whole thing is just kinda just think of just walk out of here going, self-control is a fruit. It's not the result of my effort. It's a fruit. Self-control is a fruit. Now Bob now understands this. And so here's the rest of Bob's story.
1: I went and saw a dentist. I went and saw a dentist after i'd been i continued to drink in in this yellow state for two weeks and then i went and saw a dentist and he said uh point blank straight to me you know if you don't quit drinking you're gonna die just just like that to me in in the chair and i looked up at him and i says yeah i know just like that i didn't know anything had happened at that point i was planning you always plan that when you're gonna drink that afternoon the next day but and I went home and I, I was planning to drink after I went to see the dentist because I did it the, yesterday and the day before and I went home I didn't feel like drinking I mean I really didn't want it and I suddenly realized that what that dentist had said to me I truly believe that was God speaking to me one last time that if I don't quit I would die because I had been through two extreme DUIs I'd smashed up my car twice with airbags and everything into the curb. I'd overdosed to a 0.5. I've, I have blackouts be beyond belief, uh, hundreds. And it was that day, February 12, 2008, when the dentist spoke to me that I believe God intervened. And since that day, I have not had a desire at all to drink. I got baptized about a month ago, and it was very special to me because I've learned to live one day at a time, and I was planning to get baptized after I had one year of sobriety. That was my plan, again, planning, scheduling, and it just happened impromptu there in the church we were all asked, is there anybody else who'd like to get baptized? And if you're, if you're living life one day at a time, that means don't dwell on the past, don't worry about the future. You're living today, that day, all of a sudden, in God's time, I, I get baptized in God's time. I got sober in God's time. And that day, one day at a time, suddenly God spoke to me through Alan and said, would you like to get baptized today? And I just said, I think it's time today, God. But it wasn't the one year. That was my plan for me. My family wasn't there, my, my kids, nobody knew it. There wasn't a mic on, nothing, nothing was planned. And that was the best because it was between me and God. And that's all that that baptism was for me was it between me and God. I didn't do it for anyone else. I didn't do it for my wife, for my kids, for Alan, for the church. No, it was there. I was asked through Alan, is today the day, Bob? Then I just kind of went, today's the day, God. Baptize me.
0: Allow yourself to be encouraged by that, not by the strength of Bob, but by his willingness to release it to where the strength comes from. We are, we have a, uh, we have what we call the Sanawats, and the first one of theirs, A, is ask questions, and we've been inviting you to ask questions as a part of, to help us with a series that's going to follow Easter. We still invite you to do that. One of the questions that came in was, is, Alan, I've been, I've been listening to the messages, I've been doing all, all this stuff, but why is my life not changing Why am I not experiencing these things that you talk about? Why is it not happening in my life? That's a great question. And maybe maybe it is as as simple as asking yourself if you truly surrendered your life to Christ. And that's not a a guilt-weight thing, oh, I'm not doing enough. Have you truly surrendered your life to Christ? I believe that many of us here in this church, in the American church, we, 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 we're, we're cultural Christians. We're familiar with church. We're familiar with, with the way it works. We know where to park. We know how it works with our kids. We know uh, how to worship. Maybe we've been baptized. Maybe we know how to answer a whole lot of questions. But is it, is it sincere? Is it, is it a full-out surrendering of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to talk about next week. That's what we celebrate here at Easter. We're going to talk about how simple that is and profound that is. The simple message of Jesus, who, as we looked at this morning, said, when you are in me and I'm in you, you will bear much fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and even self-control. Let's pray. God, we celebrate with you what you've done in Bob's life. The, the, the applause here is a celebration of, what, of who you are, God. So Father, I pray that uh, that story would be an encouragement uh, to others here in this room. Father, I thank you for the picture of the fruit that you give us through your servant, Paul. God, thank you that these are not things that are the result of our efforts, but these are things that grow on our tree when we surrender our lives to you. Father, as we worship with this, uh, with this one final song here, God, we want to uh, stir up anything in us that says, God, what else do I need to surrender to you? What is my 2%? That I keep on holding on to thinking, thinking, I'm, all, I'm at 98, that's good enough. God, may we just surrender the whole thing. The whole thing. We give to you now our 2% in the name of Jesus. Amen.